I would ask if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. My grandmother, my mom's mom, lived to uh, the age of 97. My dad's dad, my grandfather, lived to uh, the age of 103 long lives. I don't know if I'm going to uh, make it that long, but I remember both of their memorial services uh, quite well, and I remember there was certainly a deep sense of sadness and sorrow and loss, but there was not so much uh, a sense of shock, and that's often the case when a person who we love, a family member, lives to into their 70s or 80s. The Bible in the Psalms describes a full life as 70 years, or if by God's strength, 80. Someone who lives into their 80s or in 90s, certainly while their uh, death is a deep loss and sorrow to us, it doesn't normally uh, surprise us or shock us in the same way that the loss of a son or brother or grandson at the age of 15 or 20 does. That kind of loss can shock, uh, numb a person. It can shake us to the core. It can be disturbing because it seems so much out of sorts. And such is the case in the recent and very painful loss of a young member of our church just days ago, uh, Eli Butters. Uh, Whether you knew him personally or not, we lost a member of this body. And when a church loses a member of the body... Uh, by death, uh, we hurt. There's pain. Uh, the, the church mourns with those who mourn. And in the midst of loss, sudden loss or crisis, to what do we turn? To whom do we turn? When shaken or when confused. When the realities of life right, shake our stability or our faith, to what do we turn? Uh, just over 20 years ago, Uh, Just after graduating from high school, a good friend of mine from youth group, Russell Bryant, was hit and killed on his motorcycle in a shocking accident. I remember very clearly that uh, memorial service. Uh, It was indeed a shock. About one year later, during my sophomore year of college, another good friend I grew up with in elementary school, middle and high school, John LaDucas, who was a year younger than I, he had entered the University of Washington as a freshman and as the result of tremendous pressure from his fraternity, seeing no way out, he took his own life to escape what he could not see facing, and it was a shock. I remember his father's words as I walked into the church, and his dad said, kids, they can be so hard on themselves. The world can be very hard. These are numbing, these are shaking realities that happen in our lives all around us. To what do we turn? To whom do we turn in such crisis, in such pain? Well, God's Word speaks to us. God's Word always speaks to us in whatever our circumstances. It speaks right into this reality. And so I want to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 through 8, for many of us familiar words. A time For everything. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down 
and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Uh, The message of Ecclesiastes is among the most relevant messages for us today. Uh, Because we live in a culture that is confused. It is confused about the purpose of life. It's confused, very confused about the realities that define this earthly life. And it is confused about what hope is and where hope is found in this life. The opening words of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 are these words. The words of the preacher or teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Whether this is Solomon, David's son, or someone else, we know that this is a king. He has authority and influence. He has tremendous wealth. And we learn through the book that he has great wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And as one who is wise, he is imparting that wisdom to an assembled group of people, to the people of God. In fact, that's the meaning of the title of the book, Ecclesiastes. You may be familiar with the New Testament Greek word for church, ecclesia or ecclesia. That's us, the church, the assembled, called out of the world, assembled people of God. And the Ecclesiastes is referring to the teacher or preacher, the one who imparts wisdom to the ecclesia, the assembled people of God. And here we are gathered to hear from God's Word. In fact, we know this book is a part of a larger section of our Bible that we call the wisdom books, the wisdom literature, Job and Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. And we need wisdom today. We not only need material provision, but how to wisely use what God gives to us. Uh, We not only need relationships in our lives, but how to wisely navigate our relational lives, our social existence. We not only need breath and physical life, but how to wisely navigate the often choppy waters that define uh, our lives. And the first thing I want us to see is that both in Ecclesiastes And in all of Scripture, there is no shying away of the hard realities of life. God's Word speaks directly into the most relevant and most difficult aspects of life, including death itself. The Scriptures are full of circumstances and stories and people's lives who have experienced tremendous pain and loss and distress. Uh, Like Job, who lost his sons and daughters in a storm. Or David, who lost his infant child. And it's full of people who have suffered tremendously from discouragement, anxiety, depression. We heard from the psalmist, Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Have you ever felt that? 
turmoil within your soul. And it's full of people who express pain in life. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 describes the whole creation, indeed our own lives, groaning inwardly as in the pains of childbirth. Describing life in many ways as a painful experience. And the seasons here in Ecclesiastes 3 capture very succinctly both the complexity of life and the pains included in this life. That there's not only a time or a season for birth and life, but for death. Not only for laughing, but for weeping. Not only for love, but for hate. Not only for peace, but for war. You see, Ecclesiastes is written to describe the way life actually is. Proverbs does this as well, another wisdom book, but in many ways, Proverbs describes the way life ought to be, the ideal. Proverbs 22, verse 6 is a great example. Train up your child in the way he should go, even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's an ideal picture, but it doesn't always seem that way, does it? Ecclesiastes comes and speaks into the complexities, into the hardest realities of life as the way things are. But in the midst of loss and pain and discouragement, even death, Scripture, it neither ignores it, it doesn't run from these realities, and it doesn't fight against it. It doesn't push back against it. It looks it square in the face, as Job said when he lost his sons and daughters. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because Job knew who rules over life and death. Job knew who provides redemption in life and in death. That's why he says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. In Job 19. Or as Paul says, in the 8th chapter of Romans. So good for us to hear this morning. In Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as believers who stand in this grace of God and in this love of Jesus Christ, His Word and the book of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes teaches us much about life. Wisdom in life. For one, it teaches us that in life there are many varied seasons that we endure. There are many seasons. He says there's a time to be born and a time to die. This is the first, the last season and time on earth. The birth and death of every person is ordained by God Himself. 
David says in Psalm 139, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every day, every season of our lives have been written in the Lord's book. Ordained, set aside by God, by His divine will and plan. He says there's a time to laugh and a time to weep. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Not all of life is dancing and laughing. Not all of life is weeping and mourning. He says there's a time to tear and a time to sow. That tearing is likely referring to the the circumstance in which a person lost a loved one and would tear, rip their clothes as an indication and go into mourning. But there's also a time for sowing, mending, being restored, healed, reconciled. Many and varied are the seasons of life that the people of God endure and experience. And one of the lessons that Ecclesiastes offers is that it is only the present season that you are in that God affords opportunity for us to enjoy His goodness, to enjoy His presence, to enjoy His people. It is only the present season where there is opportunity. The Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal said this, Many people live in the past, reflecting on a season that we've already been through, either regretting the things that we should have done, or reminiscing about the things we should not have done, or we live in the future, planning, anticipating, and expecting someday things will be good and I'll be happy when that time comes. You see, there's a temptation, a temptation to live in the past, to be defined by what is no longer in our hands, or to live for the next season of life, thinking and hoping when that time comes, I will be satisfied. But you see, if we live in the past or if we live in the future, we really never live. Because it's only in the present that God affords opportunity for joy. This is why the psalmist says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's why Paul, in part, writes in Ephesians 5, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time. John Calvin comments on those words in Ephesians. He says, Everything around us tends to corrupt and mislead so that it's difficult for godly persons who walk among so many thorns to escape unhurt. Given the nature of life's challenges and temptations and hurts and pains, our time can in a way be stolen from us, robbed of joy and life. And so Paul says, make the best use of the time. It's the idea of redeeming time. Taking your time and sanctifying that time. Putting it to good use. Godly use. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. And to redeem that time, Ecclesiastes says two very important things for us to embrace about the nature of this life. One, life is fleeting. Life is fleeting. Brief. Transitory. Short. 
In fact, the opening words of the book is a theme that runs through the whole. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. The word actually means vapor or mist. You see that theme run through the book. This is what the Apostle James says in James 4. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In Job 7, remember that my life is but a breath. Friends, please hear this. In light of the Scripture's view on the brevity of life, the difference between my grandfather's life of 103 years and Eli Butter's life of 23 is virtually indistinguishable. Whether life seems long-lived or short-lived, it is but a breath. And Ecclesiastes wants us to know it. It passes quickly. Time moves quickly. Have you felt that? Change in our lives happens quickly. All you have to do is look at a picture, an old photo album. And we're quickly reminded just how fast time goes by, how quickly we change. If you're 20 years old this afternoon, go look at a picture of when you were 10. Or if you're 50, look at a picture of when you were 30. You might have one of many reactions. You might think, wow, I looked so strong. I looked so strong. The other response might be, wow, what was I wearing? What was my hair doing? Life is fleeting short on this earth. And yet there's good news. The good news speaks right into the midst of that. That true joy, and for us as Christians, everlasting joy and satisfaction, even in the here and now, including depth of faith in this life, is not found in the number of our days. It is found in the one who numbers our days. That is a summary indeed of the book of Ecclesiastes. True joy and deep faith is not found in how many days we live. It's found in the one who numbers those days. Some of God's great saints and servants lived a relatively short time. Robert Murray McShane, the Scottish minister, 29 years old. Tremendous impact. David Brainerd, the missionary to the Indians who had a great influence even on Jonathan Edwards' life. Here in our neck of the woods, age 29. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 39. The author of Ecclesiastes, in a very real way, is not suggesting that there isn't good things to enjoy in this life. If you read through it, you'll see he encourages the assembly to to see and delight in the beauty of God's creation, what he has made in chapter 3, verse 11, or to enjoy the labor and work that God gives to us while under the sun in chapter 5. To savor food and drink and friendships as gifts from God. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love in chapter 9. But he sees this. He sees this world in its very fallen, broken state as an environment ordained by God to teach us something crucial. 
And that is our limitations as people. Our limitations of time, our limitations of understanding. This world is not designed in such a way that we can have ultimate joy in it or any season that is afforded to us. The author is leading us somewhere. He's telling us about the fact that life is fleeting, but he also tells us one other thing, and that is life is elusive. If it were short-lived, we would hope we could at least have control over its direction. But it is so elusive. In chapter 3, just following the seasons that I read, verse 14 says, I perceived whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. The seasons of our lives and the lot of our life, in a way, is ordained and set. With three young children, I cannot tell you the number of times in the last few years I have thought to myself, I wish I could pause. I wish I could stop at this very time in life and just remain. It's true, children. (laughs) But I can't. Time pushes us along. A time to be born and a time to die. Birth and death, the bookends of life, they're the clearest indications of how little control we have over this life. You didn't choose to come into this world and you do not and cannot stop the inevitable of a departure of this world. And yet so much of our culture is bent on this world. That's why there's so many advertisements about preparing for and maximizing retirement. Kind of creating some kind of heaven on earth, it seems to me. Setting oneself up for comfort, personal pleasure, indulgence, Years, hopefully, of me time. Trying to stage off, postpone the inevitable. It's a tragedy, really. It is a tragedy. Not only will this earthly life be gone in a breath, but the physical body I have seen so many times, it's simply not designed to flourish in one's latter years. Have you noticed that? You see, this fallen world and life is designed... To frustrate the person who is seeking for true joy and hope in this world or any season that is offered in this world. God has made it thus so that we would look not to any season in this life, but to the one who is the author of life. And that's the message of Ecclesiastes. Do not look to the creation, look to the creator. And this is how he concludes the the book in chapter 12. The end of the matter, he says, all has been heard in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty, or really, the whole of man. Fear God. Acknowledge God. Trust your life into the hands of God. Keep his commands. That is to walk in the path of life that he provides. You see, for us who are in Jesus Christ, we are living to a a different narrative than that of the world. It is a God-centered 
narrative and story. It is a God-centered view in life. This brief life, while it is a gift, is not the whole story for us. How important that is. Our individual lives, through God's saving mercies in Christ, they are caught up, they are captured into God's grand redemptive story. A beautiful story, a story of salvation from sin and the allurements of the world. It's a story of fellowship with God and with the people of God in Jesus Christ. And it is a story that does not end in death. It is a story that calls us to hold on loosely to this world, but to hold tightly to our God. And it is a story that ends in the coming of the King, the consummation of history, the resurrection of all things, and our resurrection bodies. While Paul calls death the last enemy to be destroyed, in Christ we have victory over death. Death does not have the last word, but Christ, who is the resurrection and life. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 116 can say, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. For in Christ, though we die, yet Shall we live? Fear God. Keep his commands. What are those greatest commands? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your enemies. To love one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. What a time. What a time to embrace one another. To love one another as Christ has loved us. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you indeed for your word, for the clarity of your word and for the truth of your word, how it reflects the reality of this life and speaks newness of life into the midst of it. We pray, Lord, that you would give us indeed comfort, but that you would also give us wisdom, that we would rejoice in all that we have in Christ indeed an everlasting life, that we would redeem the time, that we would love one another in response to your great love for us through your Son. And Lord, as you do that work in and through us, we as your people will give praise and honor and glory to you. Uh, For you, Lord, are the Lord of life. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.